morning. No, not morning. Good afternoon. Yeah. Good to see you, everybody. Hello. Welcome. Happy Tuesday. Come on in. Come on in. Have a seat. Sit down. Down. We're going to have a great show for you today. Welcome to the JB Font channel. My name is James Fontleroy. I'm your host. So good to see all of you here today. The JB Font channel is available on all major podcast platforms. So subscribe to me there. Also part of Revolutionary Blackout Network. So you can also find me there as well. Please make sure to like the stream if you already like what I'm talking about. If you want to wait a little while and see what I'm talking about before you do so, then go ahead. That's fine, too. Great to have you also. Just to let you guys know as well, if you guys would like to, you guys can also go to my Substack. You guys can subscribe to my Substack at jbfont.substack.com. You guys can get email notifications just like you guys got 15 minutes before it started. Even though I'm a little late, I'm sorry, but yeah, you guys can get the email notifications through my Substack as well. Like I said, I was a little late. I was having some technical difficulties, and I do apologize. Look, I'm telling you right now, this is one of the reasons why I tell people that we really need to nationalize, you know, our especially our broadband. We need to have municipal broadband because the internet and the way it is operating these days, baby, baby, I'm telling you, it's not good. Uh, other countries who aren't as affluent as the United States are actually having better internet, better internet connections than us. Hello, Nico House. You know, living in Brazil, having better internet connection than me. You know, and it's just like, come on. You know. Anyways, so thank you so very much for that. Also, thank you so very much to all the patrons on Patreon, as well as Coffee and members. Yes, I also have memberships as well. Thank you so very much to all of you. For without you guys, I would not be able to do this. This is a privilege to be able to do, especially in a person in my position. So thank you so very much for that. Also, just to give a thank you to our my new patron, Vim ML. Thank you so very much for becoming a new patron on Patreon as well. Thank you. Now, just to say hello to everybody in the chat. Everybody, hello. If you're watching on the Rockfin side, if you're watching on the YouTube side, I'm going to come to you and we're going to say our hellos today. All right. We got CBC Voter coming in hot saying happy Tuesday at JB. Good to see you, CBC Voter. Killer Egregor is coming in saying hi, JB. Happy Tuesday. Where's everybody? RBN rules. <laughs> Thank you so very much. We have Wari coming in saying hey, everybody. Good to see you. Roger Meadows coming in saying, hit the like. Yes, please hit the like. It pushes me out into the algorithm. Thank you so very much. Terry Connolly coming in saying, afternoon, JB and fam. So good to see you. And other people and more people will be coming in. Quickly, Janice Anderson saying, hi, all. Good to see you, Janice. Okay. Now, there is a couple of news stories that I wanted to get into today. Uh these, uh, first of all, one of the things that I wanted to address was I was supposed to have Nelson Betancourt on to talk about uh, public banks, especially locally. Unfortunately, Nelson has ended up in the hospital. So Nelson, if you are watching, then my heart goes out to you and I wish you a uh, speedy and easy recovery. And hopefully when Nelson is better, you know, we can also have him back on to have this conversation uh, we will be talking basically about finances as well as uh, as 
public banks and how they can actually help us in our lives locally. So I think that's something to talk about, definitely. Uh, Roger Meadows says, citizen ballot initiatives that not only cost for municipal broadband infrastructure with the public internet service provider, but also must be competitive with the top five most well-developed countries in the world. Get better, Nelson. Yes, thank you so very much. And so um, I was going to have him on, uh, but hopefully we'll have him on in the near future. But uh, I will be talking about money still today, especially for my first subject. We're going to be getting, getting into that as well. So just to say hello to my bestie, Swery Fairy, coming in saying, hey, bestie, you're so bright today. Thank you. I decided I was going to go with red. Right? All right. We have Matt John saying, hey, Rad fam. Good to see you, Matt John, is in the Chizats. All right. And then Yipper 99. All right. Good to see you, Yipper. All right. So, and you know what? I didn't put this up. That was my fault. Well, I was dealing with a, a technical issue, but hopefully uh, that will, you know, I'll alleviate that in a second. But I want to also um, show this to you guys as well. Um, hopefully that'll upload really quick. I'm using my hot Wi-Fi hotspot right now. So if things go a little bit slow, then that's why, because I literally had to leave my own Wi-Fi. Oh, the Dow was down. Okay. But yeah, so I had to do that. So, but it is what it is. So what are we going to be talking about today? Boom. Here we go. BRICS currency. This is going to be something interesting. That's why you see Ben Franklin with the black eye. Like what? What's going on? This is going to be a little bit of an update on what I'm talking about uh, BRICS uh, a couple weeks back. So I'm going to be talking about that. That's going to be a really good subject to get into regarding BRICS. And because the C part of BRICS, China is also in the news, we're going to be talking about DeSantis versus Chinese citizens. So we're going to be talking about that too. That's actually going to be a really interesting subject because I live in Florida and DeSantis is the governor of my state. So this is going to be really close to home. And this is going to be uh, something that uh, I think uh, people are going to be interested in knowing. And uh, really, this is connected to our history as a country going back uh, 140 so years. So we're going to be talking about that. So it's going to be interesting. Stay tuned. All right. Now, bricks. What's going on? So there is some news that came out recently that BRICS is doing something that's scaring the West. Uh, and I saw recently also that Danny Haifong also is touching on this as well. If you guys have not subscribed to Danny Haifong's channel, The Left Lens, you won't, you're going to want to do that. But... Oh, no. I, let me do something really quick. <laughs> let's go to, all right, let's restore window. Boom. 
Yes. All right. All right. So am I on two different windows? Yep, I am. Uh, hang on. My apologies, people. I'm not as... Uh, I'm not as good at this as I should be. Hang on. Uh, so I can take that down. Oh, no. All right. And then we can put that there. Ay, ay, ay. I have two different windows open. All right. Boom, we got it. Okay. <laughs> no, I accidentally closed some of mine, and I didn't put up the – I didn't save some of the links like, like I wanted to. Anyway. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about was a, a new currency. So uh, one of the things that is actually interesting is that Lula da Silva was actually calling for uh, a BRICS currency. Let's see this mess. All right. So let's go ahead and talk about that because this is going to be something that it, it, it honestly, it's causing the West to shake in its boots. And honestly, when it comes to Western hegemony, especially with the United States, I really don't care. Well, I care, but I'm actually on the side where I'm actually okay with them shaking in their boots because the United States needs to stop its global domination because it's really ruining the world. But anyways, let's see what President Lula da Silva says. Eu toda noite me pergunto por quê que todos os países estão obrigados a fazer, a fazer seu comércio lastreado no dólar. Por que, que nós não podemos fazer o nosso comércio lastreado na nossa moeda? Por que, que nós não temos o compromisso de inovar? It's interesting because as soon as he said, why can't we trade in our own currency, people, everybody started to clap. Everybody was like, yeah, yeah, he's right. Why aren't we? Why aren't they? We'll get into that in a second, why they aren't, because there's some history behind it. We're going to get into that. But that is a great question that Lula da Silva is asking. Let's continue que nós precisamos ter uma moeda, sabe, que transforma os países numa situação um pouco mais tranquila. Porque hoje, um país precisa correr atrás de dólar para poder exportar. Quando ele poderia exportar a sua própria moeda, e os bancos centrais certamente poderiam cuidar disso. E, portanto... So he raised a good question. Why don't we? And there is a great answer to that question that I would like to share with you guys. And this is actually going to be talking about uh, what this could mean for 
for that. But first, let me go to this article really quick first. Let me enlarge. Oh, let me enlarge. Okay. <laughs> it says BRICS currency plausible alternative to dollar hegemony frustration towards U.S. weaponization of greenback behind local currency statement deals. All right. So. Says efforts by countries to replace the U.S. dollar in international trade will reach a new high when BRICS nations discuss the feasibility of introducing a common currency at a summit in South Africa later this year. Chinese experts said on Sunday, noting that the move could be a fresh blow against the dollar's hegemony. The BRICS group of nations, that's Brazil, that's Brazil Russia, India, China, and South Africa, will discuss the issue, which is likely to be on the agenda of a meeting of the nation's head state heads of state in Johannesburg in August of 22, August 22nd. Bloomberg report recently citing the foreign minister of South Africa. So the BRICS group of nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, accounts for one third of global economic output. And their combined output is larger than the group of seven economies by some measure. I think they're referring to the G7. Experts said that the desire for the currency that offers better accessibility and fairer treatment in international trade is the main objective for BRICS nations. They pointed out that the U.S. dollar used as a tool for the U.S. to exercise international hegemony has caused a great uncertainty for the recovery of the world economy. Zhou Yu, director of the Research Center for International Finance at the Shanghai Academy of Social Sciences, told the Global Times on Sunday that the discussion is likely to be probing effort by BRICS countries for a long-term global of a currency unit. Quote, despite the daunting difficulties of such an effort faces, it is not entirely possible for these nations to have such a currency unit creator of a unified currency for a group of countries usually takes a long time and requires years of cooperation and eventually means phasing out local currencies, Zhao said, taking the birth of the euro as an example. Quote, however, currency, currently the effort by BRICS nations seems to be seems to be focused on devising a currency unit used specifically to settle cross-border trade rather than a currency unit to replace other local currencies, which reduces the difficulty of such efforts and increases its plausibility. So basically they're like, yeah, we're not trying to, we're not trying to replace the currencies. We're just trying to make it easier for us to trade, you know, within BRICS nations, within the BRICS block. And if any other countries want to trade within that BRICS block, then they can also participate in that, which makes it easier for them to trade. Now, like when I had on Carl Ja on the talk about uh, some of these things were, especially with the United States losing his uh, its global dollar hegemony, you know, one of the things that we actually joked about and laughed about was the fact that somebody like uh, this Senator Marco Rubio was basically complaining, crying and whining about, oh, well, if, you know, if they have this new currency, then we won't be able to sanction them as much anymore. Which, in my opinion, personally, I say, good. <laughs> yeah, because here's the thing. 
they're literally sanctioning countries. And when you sanction a country, who does it hurt? It doesn't hurt the people at the top. It hurts the workers. And so whenever they talk about sanctions, I think of I think of a couple of countries. I think of Cuba and Venezuela. And if you look at what Cuba, the Cuban people are going through, especially in regards to their, their plight, and their plight isn't because of their government, but their plight is because of the United States putting this block on their trade, putting the sanctions on their trade. Uh, they put this blockade that has existed for well over 60 years since you know the Kennedy administration. And so because of that, then there's a lot that they can't do or makes it very difficult for them to do. And so because of that, then they aren't a, are as able to thrive as a socialist nation as they should be able to because the United States has this dominance on the world as far as its global currency. And so because of that, then they can't really trade with other nations like they can't, like they would like to. They can't even, they certainly can't trade with United States companies, you know, especially in regards to things like healthcare, food, and infrastructure. So then they're basically having to struggle even though they have a better system as far as taking care of their people than we do. I mean, look, they have just better healthcare system. I mean, they have relatively no homelessness, all these different things that they have. And guess what? They're doing that while having the boot of America on their necks. And so when it comes to countries like Cuba, Venezuela, DPRK, they're still able to survive even though they are under these immense sanctions. So this actually brought up a question for me that I'll get into a little bit, but my question is how would a BRICS block benefit countries like Cuba, Venezuela, DPRK, and the like? And so I think that's a really good question to ask. And so, you know, I think we'll be getting into that in a little bit, but yeah, let's continue with the article. Let's enlarge this so everybody can see. All right. It says the call from South Africa came amid its long list of calls and moves from BRICS countries to other emerging economies to shake off their reliance on the dollar. Countries are affected by U.S. interest rate hikes and geopolitical conflicts as global trade priced in dollars is impeded. The freezing of Russian assets by the U.S. and EU has also prompted countries to work on alternatives to treating the dollar as a reserve currency. Roughly 80% of global trade is currently settled in U.S. dollars, according to media reports. During the trip to Spain in late April, Brazilian President Lula da Silva said that in a report that he supported creating a currency from trading amongst BRICS countries, which we just saw earlier. Early in Shanghai, Lula question why countries should be tied to the dollar for trade, according to Reuters. Gao Lingwin, 
a expert in the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences in Beijing told the Global Times on Sunday that the irresponsible monetary policy of the U.S. has in recent years made the dollar full of risks. And quote, as an economy as large as China may be able to fend off some risk for its strong economic capacity, while some smaller countries may experience financial or debt crises. Zhao said local currency settlement, which has been growing rapidly in recent months, is now a concrete and major progress by BRICS countries to reduce the dollar dominance in trade settlement. So I'm not going to read the entire article, but this just gives you a you know, a, a synopsis of basically how, you know, uh, this is going to really, it, it, it's on the docket. It's coming down the pike. And this is why the United States is freaking out. Because if you don't have that dollar hegemony, then you cannot determine what the world does by your own will. You cannot force the world to do what you want it to do anymore. And so this, in a sense, is bad for the United States, but it's great for the world. And it's great because it's not one single country that's saying, oh, now we're going to be the dominant ones. It is a block of countries with more on the way that are saying, you know what? We're not going to be under your tyranny any longer. And so because they're not going to be under that tyranny any longer, it's more of a democratization of the world, you know, instead of it being a unipolar world, it's not a multipolar world. So the world is saying, we're going to do this stuff more democratically than what the United States has. Because it's basically like the United States saying, I'm in charge because I'm the one that's controlling all this. And the world's like, but why are you in charge? Simply because, you know, you have the backing of the dollar. And so... Now the rest of the world's like, you know what? You have been abusing us, using us and abusing us for so long. We're done with you. We're banding together. The United States is literally, I'm sorry. Yeah, the United States is literally that boss that is abusing the workers. And the rest of the countries are basically like, you know what? We're going on strike. How you like them apples? And so that's what's basically, from what I observe, is going on right now. And I think it's really important for us to keep in mind why this is so important, because this also has a deep, it's going to have deep effects on us personally as United States citizens. Uh, and I'll be getting into that in a second. But what does this, like, how is this really going to affect us? So I'm going to go to a video really quick. And uh, I want you guys to see this. Let me share the screen. Let's see. Where is it? Where are you at? All right. Let's pause there. All right. And shell. All right. So this is out of Breakthrough News. They do some great reporting. If you guys do not follow Breakthrough News, then go ahead and give them a follow. I think one of their reporters is Alrania Kalik. She does great reporting as well. So let's go. BRICS just announced a new global currency designed to replace the dollar. 
The deputy chairman of Russia's state Duma, Alexander Babakov, told reporters that the BRICS alliance, which stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, is creating a new currency that will be backed by gold, rare earth metals, and other critical commodities. BRICS will likely take up the task of creating this new currency at the next BRICS summit in late August. While there's still a lot of things we don't know about the currency, the announcement alone is a huge development. Since 1945, the US dollar has been the world reserve currency, meaning it acts as the standard currency for all international payments. This means that if Japan wants to trade with Thailand, they wouldn't pay each other using yen or baht, they would use the US dollar. The dollar's monopoly is especially strong in the oil trade, which until recently was exclusively conducted in dollars. What this means is that every country in the world needs a constant supply of dollars on hand to buy oil and other critical goods, and to acquire those dollars, they have to manufacture real goods and sell them to the U.S. or some other country that acquired dollars from the U.S. The so this is why the U.S. dollar is so powerful, well, at least since, you know, 1945. And so when you have, uh, you know, this dominance, and so they literally have to trade these goods in. And I'll be playing a video by Dr. Richard Wolf about this as well. They they have to trade in dollars in order to get the goods, even including and but not limited to oil. And as we know, oil is what moves the world. Oil is what moves economies. Without oil, sorry. Without oil, you do not have, uh, you know, vehicles to move your goods. You know, you do not have apparatuses to help manufacture your goods. Like, help even in, in agriculture, what do tractors run on? They run on oil. <laughs> uh, they run on gasoline, right? And so because that, well they need it so they have to deal with the united states and so this is forcing their hands constantly and then on top of it they have to play nice with a global power that doesn't play nice and so when you have to force that it's like <laughs> hey united states uh you know we see what you're doing in, in, in Gaza and helping out Israel. Do you think you're being a little harsh? Instead of actually going up and like, hey, yo, this is foul, what you're doing. You and Israel, you guys really need to stop doing this stuff in Gaza against the Palestinian people. Or, hey, what you're doing to Cuba has been foul. Y'all been doing this for 60 years. And in fact, we need to shut you out. But they can't because they're tied to that. And then last thing they need is for the United States to go, ah, oh, sanction. And then next thing you know, they're, they're, they're done. Their people start dying because they have sanctions. So that's, yeah. Let's continue. The United States, on the other hand, can print dollars, meaning they can essentially go into debt for free. Economist Barry Eichengreen describes it as the following. It costs only a few cents for the Bureau of Engraving and Printing to produce a $100 bill. 
but other countries have to pony up $100 of actual goods and services in order to obtain one. The other thing is that since the world financial system was set up by the U.S. and relies so heavily on the dollar, the U.S. also has the power to exclude countries from the international financial system. So that's the point. It's a system created by the U.S. for the U.S. Think about it like this. Think about white supremacy. It's literally in the name, right? It's created by white people, for white people, right? Hell, like, ask me, do black people really have Second Amendment rights in this country? No, we don't. For instance, I'm one of the first in my family, besides me, my cousin, and my brothers, that were born with full rights in this country. So, guess what? I... You know, if I had been born a few years earlier, I would have been born with those full rights. So it's the same thing with the economic system that is set up by the United States for the world. It is to benefit the United States for the United States. And if you do not play nice with the United States, even if they're committing atrocities, you're screwed. You can... You can try to condemn them in more stronger ways, but if the United States don't like it, you're, your head's on the chopping block, so to speak, proverbially. The U.S. controls SWIFT, the international payment system, which basically functions as the blood vessels of the world financial system. The How many of you guys knew about SWIFT? Not Taylor Swift, <laughs> the, you know, currency delivery system that they have. I just found out about it. It's basically, <laughs> it's basically a global cash app for countries. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. But yeah, let's continue financial system. The U.S. has weaponized SWIFT by banning countries it doesn't like from it, like Cuba, Iran, and North Korea. The U.S. also takes advantage of the fact that many countries store their foreign reserves in U.S. banks and dollar-denominated assets. The most brazen example of this was after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, when the U.S. froze over $600 billion of gold and foreign reserves held in U.S. and EU banks, making Russia unable to pay its foreign debts. So how would a new BRICS currency change this? Well, the U.S. has the power to print money and unilaterally exclude and punish countries because the world relies on the dollar. But if enough countries make the collective decision to abandon the dollar and rally around new currencies that the U.S. doesn't control, the U.S. wouldn't have the power to manipulate the world financial system like it does now. Skeptics often say that no currency will replace the dollar because not enough countries will adopt it. But the five BRICS countries alone represent a whopping 40% of the world's population. If you add the countries that are applying for BRICS membership, it becomes a little under half. If Let me give you guys an analogy. Say there are 10 of us and we're all roommates. But I'm the one that knows how to cook, and I cook all the food in the house, right? So I cook all the food in the house. Nobody else knows how to cook, and nobody else can eat if I don't cook. 
right? So then because some of you as roommates say or do things that I don't like, I can withhold food from you. Now, see where I'm going? Four of you out of the 10 decide to learn how to cook. You learn how to cook and you bring in your own food. And then guess what? You guys don't have to do anything I say anymore because now you guys also have food. And guess what? The other five, besides me, the other five people are now looking and going, oh, wait. You mean to tell me I can get food from them instead of from that one guy? And I'll be able to eat? And if he does something I don't like, I can I can say what I need to say? Oh. See? See how that is? See, we're all roommates on this planet, right? And so... Why should the United States have that much power? Why should one country that's only 5% of the world's population, only 5, only 5% of the world's population, dictate to what the other 95% do? This is just like the capitalist system. This is the capitalist system. We're a small tiny tiny percentage of people command the wealth of the majority of the world. Why should one tiny, tiny country, 5% of the world's population, the government of that population dictate to the rest of 95% of the world of how they should operate? Is that fair? Is that democratic? I'll let y'all answer that question. Let's continue. If all these countries started demanding BRICS currency in trade instead of the dollar, the rest of the world would likely have to lessen their foreign reserve holdings of US dollars and increase their holdings of the new BRICS currency. Other countries will also probably find the BRICS currency more appealing because it's not controlled by a single country, unlike the dollar. For centuries, the imperialist countries used their military and financial supremacy to siphon off resources and labor out of the rest of the world. Now those countries are banding together and starting their own currency, backed by that same wealth of resources, which will dramatically reduce the value and relevance of Western fiat currencies. Well, some are- Now, now are you guys figuring out why the United States wants to go after Russia and China? Are you figuring out why? Makes sense now, doesn't it? Why they're like, oh, well, is proxy war in Ukraine? <laughs> this is why. Or or the proxy war that they're trying to conduct in places like Taiwan? This is why. Because they do not want the big kids in the room that are actually siding with the little kids who are being bullied to say they don't want that protection. Because let's say you have you know, a smaller country, let's say like Philippines or or Vietnam or 
Cuba, you know, or let's say African countries like Burkina Faso or uh, let's Chad or Nigeria or whatever countries that are not as powerful, right? You have these other big kids that are now teaming up with you to protect you from the bully. So what is the bully thing? Oh, I got to take out those big kids so that these other little kids will fall in line and do what I say. But the big kids in the room, Russia and China, are like, you know what? Nah, bro. Nah. We're not going to let you do this. Don't try us. We're literally 41% of the world. Don't try it. And the United States keeps trying it. Ah, man. I hate bullies. and fiat currencies. While some are going to continue to insist that de-dollarization will never happen, many would argue that it's the current hegemonic position of the dollar that won't last, and that a new financial system that reflects the new multipolar world was always bound to emerge. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. So, it's going to happen. Like, I, I really do think it's going to happen. And... One of the things that I wanted to touch on is what does this mean for us? I, I really do think it's going to happen. And uh oh, one of the things that I wanted to touch on is what does this mean? Sorry, it's playing on my phone. What in the world? Anyway, um, I sound funny, dear, geez, Louise. But let's let's ask somebody who would be able to tell us. What does this mean for us? All right, now. This is Richard Wolf from Democracy at Work responding to another Ask Prof. Wolf question from our Patreon community. And this one comes from David. And again, I've chosen it from the questions you've been sending because a number of you have asked similar questions. It's about the dollar, the U.S. dollar. And it's about whether the dollar is losing its primacy in the world. And more importantly, if it is, because it is, what are the implications? What does it mean for the United States? Will there be a collapse? What are the other consequences? Very important question. So let me begin by assuring you that yes, the dollar is losing its primacy. There really is no question about this. The disagreement is how fast this process is going and will go. Not a So it's not about if, it's about when. When will it happen? Guys, put in the chat, how many years do you think that it, it, it will collapse? Like, it, it, given your educated opinion, how, how often, how long do you think it will be before it collapses? I'm curious. 
I'm giving it less than five. I'm giving it less than three. Yeah, I'm giving it less than three. Because it is, it's, yeah, it's not looking good. Let me know what you guys think. Let me see. About whether it will happen, except for a few, mostly on the right wing of political thinking, but even the most steadfast supporters of capitalism and supporters of the United States are able to see that the dollar is literally losing its global position. And what was that global position? Well, it was the dominant currency of the world, pretty much since the end of the Second World War. So that's 75 years and counting. In many countries, the dollar exists as a currency alongside of, or in some cases, instead of that country's currency. Central banks around the world use dollars as part of their reserve alongside gold and other valuable things to show that they can support their currency. And the more the world needs and uses dollars, the more the United States has enjoyed an impeccable economic gain from that. First of all, the, we give the world dollars in exchange for something. We don't just hand it out. We get something as a nation, as an economy. For example, if we import goods and services and pay for them with dollars, we get something that is worth the work that went into it. The French wine, the Chinese consumer goods, the Indian technology products. And all we give them is cheap little pieces of paper, dollar bills, hundred dollar bills, or the electronic equivalent. It's a wonderful way to get the wealth produced around the world and to give in exchange merely a claim on some wealth that may never be actually, actually demanding something because they use the dollars and buy them and sell them and keep them many of so ultimately it's about goods right uh oh hey noah if you're ready give me a thumbs up all right also joining me as well is noah krejcivic from midwestern marks good to see you noah good to see you brother how are you i'm doing good good uh, awesome. I'm not sure if you've been able to hear and listen uh, to some of the subject I've been talking about regarding uh, BRICS trying to create a new form, a uh, new currency that will really be a. Uh, it will be bad for U.S. dollar hegemony. Uh, but if you want to comment a little bit on it, then uh, you definitely can. Uh, so I wasn't able to listen. I had something of a problem. I was racing home to catch you after work. I had something mm -hmm. of a problem afterwards at work. So. Uh, I did catch the sort of end of uh, Richard Wolf talking there, but sure. regarding their new currency, it's exciting. Yeah, yeah, mm. it definitely is. By the way, that's a nice mug. Oh, um, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, let let's continue a little bit, and then we can comment on a little bit more of what uh, Doctor Wolf says. So for sure. Mm -hmm.
use the dollars and buy them and sell them and keep them. Many of the people around the world use the dollars that they accept in exchange for the goods and services they produce to lend those dollars back to the United States government, thereby funding our wars and many of our ongoing governmental activities. And why? Wouldn't it be nice if the United States, the the main, uh, oops, the main blood artery uh, that helps fund their wars is actually collapsed? This is this is one of the main uh, reasons they're sort of freaking out right now, right? Is because that the 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 supremacy of the dollar is everything. If they can force people. To not even take loans in dollars, but give loans in dollars. It gives them control over the whole thing, and like it, it, it sort of uh, gives our ruling class something of a free lunch, right? Uh, no matter what they do, they win, and we have anti-imperialism forced to fund our military-industrial complex, and so them doing this new uh, currency is a brilliant idea especially right now since they're just now getting strong enough to do it you know mm -hmm. yeah so i think this is going to be exciting because especially for those of us who are anti-war and anti-imperialist because we really like i don't know how i don't know if this is going to sound bad but it's like it's kind of worth the pain if it means that people will not suffer because of the war profiteering that the, the military industrial complex does in our nation. Mm. You know, are you, I, I know we're going to hurt from it. Well, yes and no. So we're already hurting, right? Um, that's the True. way I see it. It's sort of, they're, they're always going to find a way to try to push the negative effects onto the working class, no matter what it is. Um, with this, we're going to continue seeing high inflation, right? That's not going to stop. And that wasn't going to stop until the uh, war is over anyway. Mm -hmm. But it, mm -hmm. at the same time, what it does is it gives us uh, a reason to fight. It gives us a direct, uh, concrete thing to fight against and organize around. And so uh -huh. right now, more than ever in our history, maybe, is the, 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 the time to organize, right? To like, whatever you're doing, join something, you know? Yeah, definitely. So let's continue with, uh, with what Dr. Wolf, Professor Wolf says. So. Why is that important? Because that allows the government not to tax Americans, but instead to borrow the money from all those who have dollars and are willing to lend it. So the benefits to the United States have been enormous. As the dollar loses its primacy, as more and more people around the world stop using the dollar, reduce using the dollar, all those advantages, and many more I don't have the time to go into, will be, are being lost, and the impact on the American economy will be large and cumulative over time. Well, then why is the dollar losing its primacy? 
Much of it has to do with geopolitics. To put it very bluntly and simply, other parts of the world don't want to keep having workers produce and businesses produce valuable goods and services, shipping them to the United States and getting in return dollars. They want the benefits of a currency like the United States has gotten, but they want to share it in it too by having their currency become as important as the United States. One of my things though is, and, and uh, you can, and anytime where uh, I'm playing, you know, the video, you can ask me to stop and, you know, you can comment. But one of the things that I th honestly think is that, uh, and this is one of the problems that I see, especially with a lot of countries, especially African countries in the global South, is that they will produce goods, but then they have to ship those goods in order to keep themselves afloat versus, you know, using those goods for the people in their nation. So you may have a, a very strong agricultural uh, sector in your nation, but that agriculture is producing for a Western nation to ship off so that you can make that money so that you can at least keep yourself somewhat afloat. And yep. I think that that is a raw deal, especially to a lot of the countries in the global South regarding their workers. Oh, 100%, 100%. That was the entire point of the IMF and World Bank um, sort of like later Bretton Woods part of the system. He uh, Wolf said something interesting though that I so, sort of disagree with. He was talking about the dollar's hegemony and so for me, I get most of my economic knowledge from uh, Radhika Desai, who's a brilliant economist, by the way, in all of her books I would recommend, especially her new one. Um, and what she explains and what Michael Hudson on her new show explains with her is that the dollar was never strong. The dollar system and the so-called Bretton Woods system was never a, a strong system. It was riddled with contradictions especially as financialization continues on. So in 08, we sort of turn this corner where the primary mode of capital accumulation in the U.S. is no longer uh, uh, commodities production and sales, right? It is instead, because the rate of profit has fallen so low, it is instead financial speculation, right? And so what they're sort of forced to do is continually teeter back and forth between financial stability for all this speculation and securities and blah, 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 and uh, currency stability. So they get the financial stability and they start getting inflations. They get the inflations and cut down on the interest rates and they start getting the financial instability. And it's a complete back and forth, back and forth. And the entire time, it's all of this wealth sucked up from everywhere else, every time there's a crash and you get millions of people thrown out of their homes, you get um, what I call reproletarianization, which is this new phenomenon that I'm trying to describe. It's, it's a mess and we're getting to a point with it where it's completely impossible to go on in the old way, which is the objective conditions for revolution. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for that. So let's continue. 
Yeah, sorry, I, I ramble. Just cut me off when I start rambling. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. It is it's a wealth of information. That's what I appreciate. Important as the United States. Chief among them, the Europeans with the Euro, the Chinese with the Yuan, and so on. And they have been acting to realize that objective. The most important steps, BRICS. A global alliance, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, with at least another six to ten nations applying now to join BRICS. They want to develop a non-dollar-based trade among them. And these are nearly half the population of this planet. They are talking about trading in either the Chinese currency because that's the most powerful economy among them, or in some organized currency that they set up for this purpose. So that's basically what uh, President Lula da Silva of Brazil was talking about. Why in the world do we have to trade in dollars when we could just have a currency amongst BRICS nations and have a BRICS currency where we don't have to depend on the dollar? Right. And so... Uh, I was talking also with uh, Carl Ja a couple of weeks ago that we were laughing about how somebody like Marco Rubio was crying that they won't be able to, you know, issue sanctions to other countries if the de-dollarization, you know, happens. And so we were laughing about it. And so we were just like, yeah, duh, because I am sick and tired of seeing uh, Venezuela, uh, DPRK and Cuba and uh, as well as other nations. I think uh, I think I think uh, my goodness, what's the name of the country? Um, Somalia. I think they're also under U.S. sanctions too. There's so many. If you look at the list, it's yeah, super long of countries under sanction, and that's not even like even if you exclude the big ones like Cuba and Russia and China, like it's a mile long. So much for that free market Rubio talks about, huh? <laughs> or we're gonna get into that in a little bit too, but that that that's my thing, and you know because the thing is that sanctions only hurt the people, mm -hmm. so, and they are, end up hurting know. us too. By the way, yeah, because like the, the material interests of working class people, and this is what I think a lot of folks, um, get, this info gets hidden from people the way this works. The material interests of us here and the working class people in Cuba in China and everywhere else align, right? They are in complete, like, there are some contradictions we could talk about, but regarding big things like this, it's full alignment. What, if, what would be better for us is a flow of trade between Cuba and us. Imagine if Cuba hadn't um, been prevented from getting the materials to make vaccines. Oh. Whoa. Right. And at the same time, imagine if we had access to some of their better vaccines. You know, it's a win win for working people, but a lose for the monopolists. Got it. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, just think about, uh, you know, even even uh, like the indirect uh, benefits, like, for yeah. instance, I'm in Florida. Right. I'm in central Florida. So if I was able to jump on a plane and go to Cuba just to visit, 
then my money would go to the local businesses and then that would prop up those local businesses and then it would funnel in and have a domino effect to their healthcare system, to their infrastructure, to many other different systems that are within their government mm. that would actually help them. Because then if I'm spending my money, that's also, they may you know charge me tax on you know different sales goods, which also goes into their government and increases their monetary system. So it would just Absolutely. help them so very much. Right, it's like, what what people don't get is that uh that that well what you just said about sanctions i'm sorry i have a bad memory things fall out of my brain sometimes but sanctions like all the only people they benefit are the monopoly cartels right and just as another example um russia makes most of the world's fertilizers with mm-hmm. the sanctions russia is under this inc- allows the monopolies left trading these fertilizers to increase the cost because they don't have that competition anymore, which means it makes it cost more for us because they're not biting into their profits. No, mm-hmm. sir. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's just wild that we just they act as if sanctions are this like like soft way of punishing a a country that our ruling class doesn't like, but they genuinely hurt people, especially in the country they're, they're in the people of Cuba have suffered like no other in history. Maybe that, maybe the people of Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Let's continue. Cause he, he hits on some really good points at past this point. That's the most tangible change. Here's another one. Literally a few days ago, the Chinese brokered an agreement between Iran and Saudi Arabia, overcoming the hostility and the wars between them, direct and indirect, overcoming much of the split between Shiite and Sunni Islam. They're opening embassies in each other's countries, the Iranians and the Saudis. And please be aware that Saudi Arabia is the largest producer of oil in the world and is now closer to China, with whom it is trading more and more than it used to be with the United States. That Just to stop there for a second, um, and I'm trying not to stop too much, but one of the things that I find very interesting is that you know, as far as the what the, the way the world moves, we move on oil. So if the if Saudi Arabia is now starting to have more friendly relations with China, the United States is going to, this may end up forcing the United States to want to get off that dependency on foreign oil. But at the same time, that dependency on foreign oil may mean that they're going to try to do more uh, forcible actions against lithium producing states because if they can't produce enough oil then they're going to have to move the goods and services a different way Mm. the problem though is that you have nations uh like president arce uh bolivia and then even amlo in mexico president amlo in mexico they expressed having a, a a lithium style opec and then if you have 
countries like Mexico and Bolivia that also want to join BRICS, wink, wink, nod, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> then guess what? The United States would be like, hey, we want some of this lithium. And then guess what? The, they're like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to break, trade in BRICS currency. You can't do it in U.S. currency. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bin Salim. I forget the prince's name in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I forget his name. It doesn't matter. Uh, he, Mohammed bin Salman? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah. Salman sorry. He sort of bucked uh, the Americans and during this thing with Russia with the energy. And for years, they've been calling Maduro a dictator and not the real president or Venezuela. And what did they do? They went begging to Maduro for some oil when they needed to adjust the prices so the super majors could continue trying to make up for the falling rate of profit. Mm-hmm. It's so wild the way all that works, man. And yeah. what really interests me is the source of all of it, right? When the dollar became hegemonic, it was forced. It was like basically at gunpoint, there were all sorts of ideas about creating a world currency or at the time, uh, what's his face? Um, the British guy. Oh God, Keynes, Keynes. He was talking about this and it all sort of amounted from the U.S. Um, forcing the countries after World War One to actually pay back war debts, which usually just got forgiven among allies, especially, uh, but they wouldn't have it. And so the, the sort of dollar hegemony started there. But this one with BRICS and this new currency, it's being created out of all of these countries holding each other's currencies. And so it's this sort of win-win Chinese-style cooperation mm-hmm. that won't allow anyone to do what our ruling class has done and continually steal the currency of other countries. They've stolen from Venezuela, from Russia, from Iran. It's on down the list, you know? And so, I don't know. I'm just really excited about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so let's uh, continue. Yeah. That shift is crucial. Trade in oil used to be done in dollars, requiring everyone to keep and hold dollars. China and Saudi Arabia are discussing what they call the petro yuan. That is trade in oil denominated in the Chinese currency. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the value of the dollar in relationship to other currencies is therefore likely going to fall in the years ahead. That will make imports into the United States, which we now depend on, much more expensive. Mm. It will therefore also drive up the price of those imports, and that will be an inflationary boost when the United States needs it least. We will become more and more of an exporter. As our dollar goes down in value, our goods become Hmm? And this is key to what I believe the working class and the the re-proletariat should be fighting for in our era is bringing industrial production back. Right. Actual uh, the actual productive economy rather than financialized asset sort of value manipulation. I think that's key to everything. 
And I think it's going to be part of a, a coming revolutionary situation if we can organize ourselves properly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, I have nothing to add because really you said everything that I was thinking too. <laughs> All right. It goes down in value. Our goods become cheaper for people buying the devalued dollar. It will shift our economy around. Those shifts are always difficult. They may, if they're not properly prepared for, not properly managed, produce a crisis. And it could be as serious as the crisis that threatens from the collapse of the American banking system in recent weeks. So yeah, it is a dangerous, or it could be, but it is more a long-term readjustment of the world that Americans having a hard time getting their heads around. We are not the dominant player in the world today as we were for most of the last century. That is over. And more important than anything is to come to terms with that reality because it is becoming truer and truer with each passing week. I'm telling you, man, it is like, and, and like I was saying, you know, I, I asked the question to everybody in the chat. I was like, you know, how long do you think before, because it's not a question of if it happens, it's a question of when. And I said, I think it will happen within the next five years. Uh, what are your thoughts? I, you know, I don't, I don't know, five years, maybe, but it's like Lennon said, right? There are, are uh, weeks that take that, wait, what is it? Decades that happen in weeks and weeks that take decades, right? The, the, when things begin happening, they will begin happening very quickly. And I think the left um, isn't ready, not even, not even remotely close. Um, uh -huh. We're disorganized. We bicker amongst ourselves. We are very childish, uh, very surface level thinking and you know i'm i'm including myself among the left here right like yeah. we have to do better and we have to begin taking things seriously and recognize that we are a serious force for change in the world even if the ruling class doesn't want us to think that we need to be professionals right there's a, a concept lenin developed called the professional revolutionary and that's exactly what we need to be. If we if we can do if we can organize, the the, the masses are ready. The working people need a way out, and it looks as if the ruling class can't keep going this way either. So mm -hmm. the the time is right. The objective conditions are arriving. It's the subjective ones we are missing, which is mm -hmm. good news because that means it's something we can fix. We can do that. You know? Yeah, definitely. Just looking at some comments in the chat, uh, the Yipper 99 says seven years. Um, Screen Arts Media says it already had. <laughs> Cobra Commander says 20 years. Uh, Reality Revolution says 19 months. <laughs> that's pretty That's pretty specific. <laughs> Do you know um, something we don't know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Bad Cookie says there will be no full collapse of the American dollar, but we will never have the level of growth we did in past decades. That's a nuanced take. Um, I think, I think that's actually it, it depends. If we can organize our working class, which is the proletariat and re-proletariat, um, mm-hmm. if we can somehow create an alliance of these classes the way the Bolsheviks did with the proletariat and peasantry and actually take power, I think we'll see growth like never before. Like maybe since we haven't seen uh, since the dawn of industrial capitalism, you know, mm-hmm. and this time it would be done without all of the horror, right? And bloodshed and slavery and genocide of native people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking about the, the, the People's Republic of China and how there was a, a guy who was from China on TikTok talking about how his life has actually gotten better over the last 40 years. It's just gotten better, 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 better. Versus if you notice for us, we're always complaining about how worse has gotten over the years. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that to the collapse of capitalism because it's really going through an inevitable shift. And we're and it's like I was talking to a friend. I said, we reached a crossroads. We're a fork in the road. And it's going to be one of the two possibilities. We're either going to go into fascism, which I say we're pretty much, you know, almost there. Hello, I live in Florida. And so you have that, but then you also have the fork in the road that goes to socialism. Because capitalism, it just it it it's 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 like a hair that's split. There's no third way. There's no third way where capitalism will go, oh, but we can just shift this and do that. No, because mm-hmm. we we depend on capitalism to be what it is. It is a self, it's like the Orberus. It's like the 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 snake eating its own tail. At the end of the day, as it keeps going, it will eventually just expire itself. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's sort of Engels um, in, in oh, which one was it? I think Origin, Origin of the Family, Private and Property in the State. He explains the arising of the state, right? Mm-hmm. And it's based on the irreconcilable. Uh, antagonism between the classes, right? So that means it's inherent and built into the system. There's no way around it. So what you're saying is sort of just a different version of the Marxist view of things, right? This this uh, contradiction that our society exists as is over the course of our entire history overcoming itself. And this overcoming is driven by the class struggle. And there are, you know, wins and losses. But in the the U.S. specifically, it's often taken the form of uh, the black freedom struggle, right? Uh, The suffragettes were huge back in the day. The early union movement was huge. And so all of this is sort of included, and that gets us to where we are today. But that contradiction still exists. There is always going to come a point where it can't keep going in the old way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was an interesting, um, and I'm going to move on quickly from this subject to get to the next one. Cause I want to make sure I get your opinions on the next story, but this was an interesting um, article that I found. Mm. 
Uh, this was actually out of the money cloud. It says, what does BRICS new currency reserve mean for you? And let me make sure, let me see if I can enlarge this just a little bit. Okay. It says, uh, what is what does the currency mean for you? Emergency pow- emerging powerhouses, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, otherwise known as BRICS, form an increasingly influential economic bloc, reforming global finances high on their agenda. In April, Russia was the first country to ratify an agreement, set up a $100 million foreign currency reserve pool. This pool, known as the Contingent Reserves Arrangement, is essentially a store of foreign currency any of the BRICS countries can dip into if they need to. And it goes in and talks about that. But I want to go into this. But what will this mean for me? Real quick, if, real quick. Go ahead. Um, scroll up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, a little more right there where it says balance of payments. That mm-hmm. is huge. That line is what you want to pay attention to when we're looking at international economics, just so you know. Yeah. And the, well, uh, they're sort of describing what I was talking about, holding each other's currencies. Yeah. So I, I'll just read this paragraph. It says, having, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's good. Having this emergency store will support their balance of payments, effectively covering debts for a short-term crisis. Keeping funds in a stable foreign currency is especially important as it protects against currency inflection. So I'm sorry, against currency fluctuations in BRICS member countries. The Brazilian real, for example, declined in value by roughly 17% against the US dollar in the first three months of 2015, thanks to political instability and inflation. Reserves mean that Brazil and other BRICS countries can keep their currencies at a fairly level exchange rate, even if they're experiencing difficulties. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And that should have been what we were doing with the UN, right? If the if the liberals actually meant what they said, that would have been set up already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and my thing is, like, what if the United States teamed up and created an actual reserve currency that actually benefited the world like this? Like, the United States could have did this, but mm-hmm. they chose not to because they're right. greedy. It's class. Yeah. yeah, it agrees their downfall. Mm-hmm. So this says, but what will this mean for me? It says, if you are a BRICS national, having a foreign currency reserve might help stabilize your economy. This, in turn, in- encourages trade, tourism, and often means lower unemployment. Stability typically comes with steady exchange rates, making traveling abroad or even buying a house overseas easier to budget for. When the Brazilian real declined in early 2015, a home worth $200,000 would quickly have gone down to $166,000. Steady steady rates usually safeguard against sharp devaluations so you can feel more secure in your purchases. And then it says if you're an investor in the BRICS country, the reserves have implications in terms of consumer confidence. This is likely to increase as BRICS countries can pay international debts quicker and have more reassuringly stable economies. This leads to an uptick in spending and economic growth, meaning there is more money going into companies you might have shares in. Now, this is from a capitalistic perspective, but yeah. So even from a capitalistic perspective, if you're an investor in BRICS companies, 
this is actually a good thing for you, mm-hmm. which is crazy to think about. Well, and notice the companies were in question are part of the productive economy rather than just mm-hmm. financialized assets and debt, which is really mm-hmm. important to, to make that difference uh, because it's finance capital in contradiction with the old productive capital that we're talking about. And and when you say that you're, you're talking about more of the the one the countries that produce goods, actual goods and services and yep. factories and stuff like that, right? Yep, just the way we used to do here. <laughs> you know, well, not not just the way, but yeah, <laughs> the same type of uh, production going on. Yeah. Okay. So in ending it, it says relatively constant exchange rates also mean investments are safer. Mm-hmm. Our early example of Brazilian property prices applies in exactly the same way here. The chances of being hit by an unpleasant surprise is significantly reduced. So this is, you know, just from more of, you know, the financial side, you know, especially people who are investors, they're even seeing this as a benefit, which is crazy on his face because I'm just like, "What? Well, aren't you guys capitalists? And they're like, yeah, but it's more stable. And capitalists love stability. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes well, they love so a, a little bit of risk. In China, China. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I talked yeah. over you. What did you say? That's no, no, all good. Oh, I was just um, saying, why do you, why do we think so many people want to invest in China, you know? Mm-hmm. It's that just more stable, true. and the the U.S. breakdown is so mm-hmm. apparent to everyone. Yet our media keeps telling us everything will be fine. We're in good shape. We're in a recovery. Remember the Obama era jobless recovery we had? <laughs> the, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I don't want to swear. What the f is a jobless recovery? You know. <laughs> yeah definitely and there's this last article it's a really short one but i just wanted to because i was questioning myself i was questioning the audience earlier i was just like what th- what would this mean for cuba what would a BRICS country mean for countries like cuba and so this is out of tvbricks.com <laughs> so let's get it straight from them uh, it says Russia and Cuba would celebrate 120 years of diplomatic relations in 2022. Julio Antonio Garmendia Pena, Ambassador Extraordinary uh, Plenipotentiary of the Republic of Cuba to the Russian Federation, spoke about the need to restore the flow of Russian tourists to the Republic and answered a question about possibility of joining BRICS in an interview with Isvestia. Uh, Cuba, quote, Cuba maintains trade relations with countries of the association, stressing the importance of cooperation with Russia and China in various sectors of the economy, end quote. According to Pena, since the BRICS countries account for 42% of the world's population and more than 16% of global trade, the trend towards expansion in the alliance offers the hope of achieving a multipolar world. In June, Iran Argentina and Argentina applied to join BRICS and was later learned that Turkey, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, and Algeria also want to join BRICS. So this is just massive. Mm. This is going to be, I honestly, I honestly hope that, I hope there's a report that Cuba's like, oh yeah, we're joining BRICS. 
that would be really that would be great for Cuba. Um, in the past, it's been really trying to get around the American blockade, right? Um, and the, them having varying degrees of success. But with all these changes coming in the recent time since 08 and then more recently since 2021, um, that's becoming less of an issue. Their economies are more powerful and they're more ready to just go, screw you, America, we'll do what we want. You know, you can't stop us, which I think is pretty cool. I actually, they were talking about Cuba, uh, tourism in Cuba. And it's funny because during the, uh-oh, I think JB uh, clipped out for a minute. Anyway, I'll, I'll just tell my story. Hopefully, he'll be right back. Um, so during the Obama era, there was the, the Cuban cool or whatever they called it. And they loosened all of the sort of uh, restrictions on travel and all that stuff. And so my wife and I kind of pounced on this, right? And we planned a trip and we made friends with our contact in Cuba, who was this party guy named Jamie. Super nice guy. He was going to take us to dinner at his family's restaurant and take us on a tour of the Museum of the Revolution, all this cool stuff. And uh, then Trump gets in office and about a week before we uh, were, were set to go, they make it illegal to go again, right? So all of the Cuban companies were cool. They're, they're like refunding money. The American companies, the boat especially, refused to refund anything. We ended up having to take a cruise to uh, Key West and the Bahamas instead because they just wouldn't give us our money back, which I mean, it was nice, even though a cruise is like, I felt very uncomfortable on the ship and I, I kept trying to tell them to stop calling me, sir. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, that was uh welcome back, JB. <laughs> I was trying to fill yeah, time by telling uh, my story about when I almost went to Cuba. I recently actually almost went again. Uh, they invited someone to represent Midwestern Marks in this sort of international brigades thing. Unfortunately, it was a youth organization and I'm way too old for that. So I ended up not able to go. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm tethered to the Wi-Fi on my phone because for some reason it wasn't working uh, in, in my house, but <clears throat> yeah. bummer. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, only use Ethernet. Like, I don't trust Wi-Fi for anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, um, this is actually a really good, good comment here. Uh, it said, this is from Curie Adams says, Brick should include Cuba just to support the thousands of doctors they send around the world. I agree, actually. The Cuban doctors are legendary, you know? Oh, hey. A little uh, helper just showed up. Oh, no, he went away. Never mind. Where are you going? Come here. You want to say hi to Jake? Say hi. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, the, I mean, they're legendary. There's, you know, our country ships, you know, war and devastation where as Cuba ships doctors, there's no... No comparison, you know. Mm -hmm. Definitely. 
So why is this my my Wi-Fi is really messed up right now? Oh, I'm bummer. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, this sucks. Um, but I want to get to the the next story. Um, hopefully things will clear up in a second. Yeah, I just cleared up. Okay, good. Awesome. So one of the things that I wanted to get into was the next story. Um let's go into so the next story that I wanted to get into was this about Ron DeSantis. Yeah, this is the one you and, told me about on the phone earlier, right? <laughs> yeah, this this guy is just a piece of work. Mm. So I wanted to get into that. Um and hopefully hang on. I really like that that Benjamin okay. Franklin with the black eye. Yeah. I don't know why he looks so sad. Look at him. <laughs> He's like, why'd you hit yeah. me? Why'd you hit me, China? Yeah. <laughs> I was I find weird stuff funny. I I apologize. <laughs> no, it is funny. I, I did that on purpose because I was just like, yeah. Yeah, Benny Ben, he's not looking so good right now. Mm, he got beat up quite a little bit. <laughs> you, you made that one? The that's that's good. Good work, brother. Yeah. Uh so oh, that's why. I think I know why. Okay, let's take that down. Okay, so let me go to my list because I have a list. And there was a recent story that came out that, you know, Ron DeSantis, of course, uh, you know, uh, you know, he's he's a bit of a bastard. Uh, let me, let me a make bit, sure yeah. I get a bit, just just a bit, just a bit, <laughs> a little, little bit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I'm going to share my screen really quick so we can see this article. In my work, yes, we have a yes. word for that, by the way. We so when someone's like a little bit of a, of a, of a bastard, we call them a dip, right? Mm -hmm. As in they're half of a dipshit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so this uh, this is a report. It says Governor Ron DeSantis signs legislation banning Chinese citizens from buying land in states. Have you heard about this? I haven't heard of this one yet. No, I thought we were gonna. You were talking about uh, the one where he was signing the uh, education thing to begin, like teaching like wild lies about communism in schools. Like oh the, yeah, like Stalin ate everyone's babies and their babies' babies. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, uh, maybe a dingo at your baby. No, no. Um, <laughs> No, oh man, any Seinfeld reference is good with me. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a dingo ate your baby. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So this it, this is going to be an interesting story. You're gonna you're gonna be interested. It's a it's out of Tallahassee. It says Governor Ron DeSantis on Monday signed three bills intended to curb the influence of the Chinese government in Florida. The measures will restrict land ownership in Florida by Chinese citizens ban the use of Chinese-owned social media platforms such as TikTok and WeChat on government devices and further limit colleges and universities from building relationships with, country, with foreign countries of concern such as China. 
DeSantis said, I'm sorry, go ahead. It just wow. Let, it, <laughs> for someone who pretends to talk about freedom, he's all about mm -hmm. that uh, authoritarianism when it suits him, right? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> what happened to a free marketplace of ideas, right? <laughs> it continues as DeSantis said the legislation, which will take effect on July 1st, makes it very clear that we don't. Okay, hold on. I got to do my voice. On July 1st, makes it very clear that we don't want the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and the Sunshine State. Blah. Anyway, I got to, you know, you got you to clown these people. I agree. I think it's it's funny because, like, look at his his reasoning. They have established a position of economic might, of industrial hegemony, and their military is far stronger than it was 20 or 25 years ago, right? Um, none of that says they have any ill intention towards the U.S. or anything mm -hmm. but want to be friendly with the U.S. The Chinese have wanted friendly relations with the U.S., since the era of the Sino-Soviet split, like mm -hmm. with their, you got to understand that they're not the Soviets, right? They arose out of a very nationalistic revolution. Yes, it was a communist revolution, but at the same time, it was a peasant-led led revolution. And mm -hmm. this, like as it, it adapts and develops, changes its character, right? Mm -hmm. But from the get-go, they were never interested in forcing Chinese ideology on anyone on um, like sort of expanding the revolution mm -hmm. uh, the way the, the Soviet union was at, as sort of the center of world revolution at the time, they sort of, they leave it up to every other country to have our own revolutions mm -hmm. in our own time and want to help flourish the entire world, regardless of ideology and they say this constantly constantly and it's I, i've actually seen like bad translations that take something like we want friendly relations with the u.s and completely mistranslate it into vaguely threatening statements it's wild wow that's crazy so it continues says <clears throat> quote they have established a position of economic might, of industrial hegemony, and their military is far stronger today than it was 20 to 25 years ago, DeSantis said during a bill signing event in Brooksville. They have a leader who is very ideological and is intent on expanding CCP influence, not just their, in their region, but even around the globe. Here's my, here's my thing, though. A lot of us became communists because we saw how shitty capitalism is. It what Xi Jinping didn't have to say anything to us in order for us to see to realize, you know what, this capitalism thing isn't really working out for us. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, just maybe, we should go in a different direction. Right? Xi Jinping did not whisper into my ear and say, Hey kids. You want some of that communist candy that we have in the in the van down by the river? We can give you that communist candy, huh? <laughs> well, first of all, um, the the racist use of CCP instead of CPC bothers me every time. But oh yeah, I, I realize. Right, that like, too. I'm sorry, but ain't no Chinese getting rich off my labor. That's mm -hmm. the white dude I work for. 
right? Yeah. Um, it, no Chinese people have ever hurt my family, my any of my neighbors, my coworkers in any way whatsoever. That's my government, my boss, my establishment, and deep state or whatever you want to call it, the bureaucracy. That's all our own ruling class doing that. They're not deteriorating our living standards. Our financial institutions are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it, it just, it gets on my nerves because they're, they're trying to, you know, it's like they call it the Chinese communist party when really it's the communist party of China, just like there's a communist party of the United States mm -hmm. and there's communist parties all over the world. Communist party, United States. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's called literally called CPUSA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dear God. Since the Sanders who have been working to build international credentials ahead of the anticipated presidential run in 2024, blame the elites in our own country for who for, who for, for a generation have favored short-term profits for China. He did not specify the individuals. This this is his cover of populism, right? To try to yeah. like pull the Trump vote. It's BS. Yeah, I mean, with, with Trump, it's BS as well, but at least it's good bs you know it's bs that like gives you some entertainment value and actually took people in but with him it's just so naked like he's been part of one of those elites forever at least trump was like knocking on the door trying to get in and he had a lot of them telling him no you know <laughs> yeah so it talks about what the what the contents of the bill are it says the most conscientious measure SB 264 seeks to largely prevent Chinese citizens from purchasing land in Florida. The legislation would allow Chinese citizens with non-tourist visas to acquire single parcels that are under two acres and located at least five miles from military installations. In voting against the legislation last week, House Minority Leader Fentress Driscoll a Tampa Democrat who is also an attorney called the bill an overly broad and warned it, it could result in lawsuits by veering into the area of national origin discrimination. Mm -hmm. Now, what does this remind you of? Something happened in our past. What does this remind you of? This is, this is how it always gets started. No matter, there's so many examples of shit like this. It, like stemming out of our sort of uh, white supremacist past, especially, you know, when like that was overtly the the stated ideology of the establishment, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, it's always like, oh, there's some foreign danger and it turns into Japanese internment. Right. And things like yeah. that. Yeah. This one says, meanwhile, DeSantis signed a bill. Uh, SB 258 that expands on a September 2022 executive order directing the State Department of Management Services to create a list of prohibited social media applications that it considers security risks to block access on state-owned wireless networks. The bill came amid a national debate about restricting access to the widely popular TikTok app for security reasons. Now, we talked about the restrict that uh, me and Savvy talked about it on RBN about how dangerous it is because mm -hmm. really it gives the government carte blanche to determine, you know, where we, you know, you know, what platforms we use 
And it basically is a free speech bill that prohibits free speech mm -hmm. uh, electronically. Right. And so DeSantis is trying to do the same thing state statewide here in Florida. Yeah, uh, it's and it's funny because TikTok is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. I think we're on our seventh, maybe eighth ban from TikTok <laughs> with right. Midwestern yeah. Marks. Um, when the Chinese were actually running it, we were never banned. Uh, we're getting millions of views on all kinds of videos, uh, just blowing up. And that's because of the really people-oriented algorithm that uh, Tencent wrote. It's mm -hmm. not based on centralization of capital and the ability to sort of throttle users into certain directions the way we're finding out all of our social media is via the Twitter files, right? It yeah. is literally, no matter who you are, if you get something that got passed, that got passed around, it could blow up. And that's why the Midwestern Marx Institute stuff was able to. And then I forget which, which uh, bill it was, but they passed something that would no longer allow uh, the Chinese company to have a controlling share. And they got all of these Department of Justice people in there, like literal ex-intelligence assets uh -huh. running TikTok in content management. Suddenly yeah. we're getting banned left and right. Our videos are throttled. We're getting less than a tenth of the views we used to. It's just, it's wild the way they try to present our media as being this like free and objective thing. But it is the most censored media in the world. Chinese censorship is nothing compared to ours. Nothing. Yeah. And in fact, I actually had some notes uh, based on this article. And uh, I said, here's my notes. Uh, my note says, this law shows that Ron DeSantis does not believe in the marketplace of ideas. Also, if he's so concerned with destructive ideologies, why doesn't he make a similar law for white supremacist groups and ideology? This tells you exactly who he is. Precisely. It's just like the entire government, right? Mm -hmm. They refused to vote about a an act of the UN that would outlaw the anything that could uh, promote Nazi ideology, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, they propose a bill in Congress to denounce the horrors of socialism, you know? Yeah. It's wild. Like, the the socialists are the ones that defeated the Nazis. Yes. And they're trying to sort of erase that history. Uh, recently, they uh, renamed Victory Day in one in their, their little puppet. They renamed it Europe Day. That's oh crazy. God. Europe Day? You mean Germany? which had taken on Europe and it was, Oh God, it's, it's wild what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's bad. I uh, mean, like I said, now more than ever is the time to stand up and fight back. Yeah. My next part of my notes, I said, this is pure projection, quote unquote, economic might. Hello, sanctions, industrial hegemony, NAFTA, anyone. It was our government's fault that our industrial jobs were sent overseas. Military? We spend more on our military than the next 10 nations combined. Mm -hmm. Ideological leader. Look at all of our presidents. 
Reagan, Bush one, Clinton, Bush two, Obama, Trump, and Biden, all ideologues and expanding corporate influence around the globe. They're all neocons. That's what they yes. are. They're neocons. Yes. All, it, they put, they're basically all sort of enacting PNAC, the project for a new American century. All yep. the countries they target were on the PNAC list. It's all like they're the idea that there's a difference between Democrat and Republican mm -hmm. in our era is ridiculous. You know, yeah. like they go back and forth between the two all based on the cynical rhetoric they use. The policies are the same. And for those that like consider Trump a true populist or whatever they want to call him, he deregulated finance specifically while adding extra regulations on the little guy, small business entrepreneurship, which is what people were saying he was doing. He's the same as Obama. Yes, yes. And by the way, the whole uh you know the whole gulf that between democrats and republicans really isn't a gulf if you guys have not i encourage you guys to go to uh savvy sab's channel because she actually talked to the lawyers who uh did the uh, the lawsuit against the dnc fraud lawsuit and they literally talk about how the dnc is really just a private organization and you really have no say in their politics. And if the DNC is like that, then you sure as hell know the RNC is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Is that what was it when um they were very scared that Bernie Sanders was gonna win the primaries mm -hmm. and they were trying to hedge their bets and go, look, we don't have to have a primary. Well, mm -hmm. whoever we want to be. The candidate will be the candidate. Yeah. Our party that calls themselves Democrat to mm -hmm. do that is just, it's a joke. Yeah, they're, they're, they, the Democratic Party is no more Democrat than the Federal Express is part of the federal government. Mm. And spy, by the way, they also act like they're like the, the anti-racist party and the, <laughs> the, the socially progressive party. Literally, Joe Biden was like the one of the biggest white chauvinists in the entire country was saying, you're not black if you don't vote for him. Literally trying to tell black people what it means to be black. Like the, the it's it would be a comic book if it wasn't our real lives, you know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so the next part, I said the elites in our country that, you know, Ron DeSantis was pointing towards. Like Harlan Crow. remember Harlan Crow? He's the one that was giving all these gifts, millions and millions of dollars of gifts mm. to Clarence Thomas, our Supreme Court Justice, Harlan Crow. Mm -hmm. Or what about Charles and David Koch, the Koch brothers? What about them? Or How about the Mercers that also yeah. fund him? Yeah. Right? <laughs> the, 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 what should we call it? The, the Sackler family? Mm -hmm. What about Elon Musk? Warren Buffett? Bill Gates? What about them? Right? Talk about the elites? Let's talk about them. Right. And let's talk about his involvement with them. And getting... It's wild because the way... Let me go on a little tiny rant about finance capital. Okay? Sure. The way that our financial system is regulated or deregulated these days... 
uh, it's something called regulatory capture that's happened, right? Uh-huh. What happens is the uh, the government committees that are supposed to regulate our financial institutions, whoever donates the most uh, to the party gets those seats, right? So all that happens is the financial institutions send their lobbyists in, donate the most, and it's literally Wells Fargo people or Chase people that are in those seats, then deregulating. The guy that, uh, oh, what was his name? One of the only like decently regulatory bills on finance, I forget it, but he'd written it, went back on it after getting a job at these financial institutions. All of it yeah, is Barney one Frank. big revolving door. <laughs> Barney Frank, yeah. Yes, Barney Frank, thank you, from Dodd-Frank, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Dodd-Frank, yeah. Yeah, because I, I talked about that <laughs> a couple of weeks back. <laughs> it was just, man, these guys are crazy, man. Uh, and so I don't want to over overstep, but uh, also, you know, uh, they don't want uh, these, you know, Chinese people to own land. And my question is, what about Chinese billionaires like Jack Ma? Mm. I mean, he's a capitalist. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's it's a lot of it is directed at people like Jack Ma. Um, but I don't know. I like, there's always a couple layers to these things, you know? Yeah. So I'm not sure the, the you would think Ma's investment portfolios would obviously include real estate assets in the U S mm-hmm. right. And to me, it seems like an internal contradiction of the financial bourgeoisie versus the Chinese national bourgeoisie. Right. And Ma's sort of, already been put in his place by the party a couple times in China when he just stepped out of line. Um, But to me, it seems like a way to make sure they're monopolizing those assets and not allowing uh, the free market to decide, you know, it's when you get to the monopoly stage, it's all about power and trying to rake in those asset profits or capital gains rather than profits. Definitely. Uh, section um, is the SB 258. It sets a dangerous precedent. This can be expanded to all of Florida and can be copied by other states to prohibit social media apps to be used by any citizens. And then he talks about economic free, academic freedom. What academic freedom? Restricting collaboration is now freedom. And I said the Chinese Exclusion Act was signed 141 years ago this month. So that's what this reminds me of. The Chinese Exclusion Act and the Chinese. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. I said, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I actually wanted to get into that as well. Um, And this is out of archives.gov. And it actually talks about the Chinese Exclusion Act. And I want to get into that just to give a little bit of background information as to what this is and why does it feel like there is really a roaring back of this type of law uh, into our lives. And it's really just, uh, I, I see it as a, as a massive slippery slope. 
Mm. Because whenever I look at capitalism, I see it always reverting back to its original form. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Majin Buu <laughs> going back to his original most evil form, you know? I'm not familiar uh, with the reference. Uh, well, okay, so it's, it's a Dragon Ball Z reference. Um, My basically, son the most evil version of himself was his original version. And as okay. he absorbed different uh, forms of different uh, uh, Kais or entities, then he ended up becoming slightly less evil. And the thing is, is that it's the same thing, uh, you know, it's the same thing regarding capitalism. Capitalism will always revert back to its original form. And we try to, you know, put the reins on around it, or bridle it and try to steer it in different ways to keep us from uh, going down off a cliff. But capitalism is trying to shake that bridle off of itself. So, yeah, I feel like what they do is they continually try to find band-aids to uh, cover up the contradiction the the system itself exists as. Marx teaches us, and by the way, you'll learn this very soon, um, that cap what capitalism is on a concrete level at its heart is contradictory, contradictory value production, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, the production of new value added into what was already there, but in a contradictory way, a way that uh, has within it its own breaking apart, right? And mm-hmm. that's embodied in the class struggle. And I don't want to get in a whole thing. And we'll explain, like, you and me will talk later about that. But all of it is to try to avoid this contradiction coming to a head. The, the rate that profit is made at is continually falling down and down and down. So they need to do whatever they can to make up for that. And what it used to be was the way to do that was directly lowering the, the power and conditions of the working class, be that in wages, making them work longer or increasing efficiency a lot of the time. That would help. Uh, you know, like automation and stuff like that arises out of that too. So it's not all just a bad thing. But when we get to financialization, they have to start getting really creative now, right? Because they're making their, they're, they're accumulating capital no longer by producing the things we need, but instead by these assets. And so you'll see stuff like this in trying to monopolize these real estate uh, properties, which are assets as, and and they'll try to frame it as sort of helping the American people. Oh, the evil Chinese are going to steal all the property that you could have and blah, blah, blah. But it's all asset accumulation and it's got to come to a head because this, this system is also contradictory. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a video that I would like to show, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because, uh, I'm going a little bit over time, but, uh, I wanted to show, and it talks about the dark history of the Chinese exclusion act. I was trying to open up the actual page from the government website, but 
internet's working kind of wonky and so and i don't know if i'll be able to play this but hopefully i will be able to it's just this thing is constantly um it's buffering like crazy mm, uh, but, i well i hope it works yeah, i'm it, interested in in this as well i don't know a whole lot about that so i'm excited mm-hmm. yeah so it, it's as if my my uh my computer did drugs and now it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. It's like, <laughs> yeah, don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> take it from uh, me: do okay. not do drugs. <laughs> well, unless you <laughs> like, like, sort of ruining your life and making everyone you love hate you, then go go for it. No better way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, is this going to play? I don't know. I don't know. Ah, I want. I want to mention your one of your viewers, Curie Adams, said something awesome. Um, can I read that mm-hmm. out loud? Oh, sure, sure. She says we need to keep China from getting this property. BlackRock needs it for their profits. <laughs> well true. said. Well said, Curie. <laughs> that, yeah, that's pretty good. All right, so let's hope. Please play properly. Don't don't do this to me. Don't do this to me, YouTube. Damn it. Okay. It says the statue represents liberty, holding a torch which lights the passage. But are the Chinese allowed to come? So. Oh, please don't. Let me see. After 12 years living in California, Chinese citizen Che Chan Ping was ready for a visit home. He procured the necessary documents for his departure and return journey and set sail for China, where he spent the next year reconnecting with friends and family. But when he returned to San Francisco on October 8, 1888, Ping and his fellow immigrant passengers were forbidden to disembark. Just days earlier, President Grover Cleveland had signed the Scott Act, which invalidated the legal documents allowing their re-entry to the United States. This policy threatened to separate families and deprive Chinese immigrants of their homes and livelihoods. Ping challenged the ruling, beginning a legal battle for the rights of thousands of Chinese immigrants. But his case inspired an even more controversial policy that continues to impact immigrants around the globe. Oh, I think it froze, brother. It froze on my end anyway. Can you hear me? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just saying. I'm sorry. I'm saying that this, this, uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, this is what it's about. Like, really, uh, ultimately, and I don't want to uh, go too deep into it, but and I wish I had more time to go into this. But this is really originally was about how a lot of people, particularly white people, were saying the Chinese are taking our jobs, the immigrants are taking our jobs. Yep. And so this is what happened with black people, because after slavery was abolished, 
you know, a lot of the poor whites were concerned about the slaves taking their jobs. Mm -hmm. then the whole union movement. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm go sorry. ahead. Uh, I was saying the whole union movement before the before Reconstruction were uh, anti-abolition because they were afraid mm -hmm. that the the former slaves would cut their wages down, take their jobs, etc. Du Bois actually explains how that was materially not the case in his Black Reconstruction in America, um, but it's that's a product of ideological. Uh, white supremacy and race science that was going around right now, right at the time, uh, the Civil War marks like just this revolutionary epoch, right? Marx called it the Second Revolution for a reason. And Du Bois brilliantly goes on that um, it was it, it was more than just this revolution; it was the black proletariat, um, not like just announcing its humanity. Right. Um, because our ruling class was literally teaching in schools that they were less human. Right. Which is so beyond messed up and doesn't compute in our heads these days. But that's what they were being told. And so all these like racist union workers in the north were against abolition. And so it's a wild history to learn about. Oh, Jay, Jay cut out again. Um, I can always go on about Du Bois and and Black Reconstruction, though. Oh, there you are. Mm -hmm. Go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut in with my my Du Bois rants. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. Uh, it's just, but that that just goes to show how uh, it was really uh, constantly the the proletariat constantly being concerned when really a lot of the profits are being absorbed and taken. Uh, by the by the people at the top, by the mm -hmm. capitalist dictators. And yep. so, you know, this is why there's always a divide. And so laws like this, like, you know, what DeSantis is trying to do really just enforces and pushes this notion that it is the immigrant that is your enemy, when in reality, it's the people at the top that are really pulling and extracting your surplus wages that is really the enemy yep. it's just like for instance there was a, a law that was signed by DeSantis, DeSantis that makes it so that undocumented immigrants can't work in this state while uh you know it may be good for some of the local people here you know so that they can work those jobs a lot of them do not want to work those jobs number one number two why is it that these jobs don't make as much? And why is it that these jobs are, you know, uh, they don't, these workers don't get treated as well? It's because of their undocumented status, because they cannot fight for these things. Mm -hmm. But even if, you know, you were to replace these workers with uh, workers who are documented or, you know, citizens of this state, the problem is, is that they're, the citizens who are working are still going to get exploited by these people at the top. So it doesn't fix the problem. The actual problem really is the people, the corporate dictators that are making it so that people are constantly exploited. It's just, it's easier to exploit undocumented immigrants 
than it is to exploit citizens. But it's right. still because they have no recourse. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying. I was just agreeing because they have no recourse. Yeah. Right. What are they going to do? Organize? They'll just come get arrested. Hope maybe deported. You know what? Like, like God forbid. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so, you know, excluding, you know, Chinese people from owning, you know, land over a certain size, things like that, that's really just a slippery slope. So then, okay, we don't want them to own land. Okay, we don't want Mexicans to own land. We don't want Guatemalans to own land. We don't want, uh, we don't want people from, South Africa to own lands. We don't want people mm-hmm. of Russian descent to own lands. We don't want black people to own land. It goes a slippery ass slope. Yep. The thing is that my question is owning property, housing is property. So if somebody can't buy a house, what does that mean? <laughs> the, the, okay. This actually ties into my like my own theory that I'm working on right now that I call reproletarianization because the problem of the color mm-hmm. line is huge. It's everything, right? And what back in the day, uh, what happened was we had a large middle class arise out of our working classes, right? The white part, and this is essential in what the bourgeoisie always 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 tries to do no matter what form it takes it can even take woke forms right uh they want to keep working class people divided by different communities by genders by whatever they can do right and if you look at american history we can view it as the more advanced elements of our proletariat struggling to become more united and one people it is, the actualization of the American people as the American people rather than these legally divided categories and the creation of the middle classes excluding the black working class especially is huge and a huge part of that. And that was a real shot in the arm for uh, what Du Bois used to call the American assumption, which without getting really in-depth about it, is sort of the notion that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? And it drove the division necessary for the bourgeoisie to continue on in a time of very militant class struggle. And right before we reached one of our most revolutionary periods in history, the the political revolution that we call the civil rights movement, which changed our base social relations forever, you know? and so this is what I see view this is as is another attempt to keep people separated, to keep us divided and keep us fighting each other or whatever else they want to do. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, though, in regards to and I'm looking at something that uh, Bill Bradley said, he said intersectionality is the most divisive belief system among the workers ever created to this point. I actually disagree. Um, I think intersectionality is uh, a good way of really showing and pursing how class and you know is really uh, a, it it is part of why you know we are cons- constantly divided. Like for instance, 
Um, the intersections of me are black, disabled, and queer, right? So the thing is, is that what does this mean? This means that, you know, they will use my uh, queerness, they will use my disability, and they will use my blackness in order to make me onto a lower rung of society. What people have to get through their heads is that they're using this as a tactic in order to keep us divided so that we don't unite. And so I think what the part, the primary part is, people need to learn that we are more united than what divides us. But at the same time, you have to let go of some of these ideas about certain groups that aren't true or that are skewed that keeps us divided. Because, like, for instance, some of these people who may, you know, think certain things about the black community being dangerous, in reality, we're not dangerous. We're just exploited. But the thing <laughs> is, is that people are sitting there going, well, black people are like this and black people are like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, we're that because we're second class citizens. And the thing is, is that in capitalism, our class has been tied to our race ever since we got here. So the intersectionality is deeply important as an understanding to realize that we have to let some of these things go. The, the white supremacy, the homophobia, the misogyny, the misogynoir, things like that. In order for us to truly move ahead, we have to let these things go because it is a tool used by the corporate dictators in order to keep us divided. Mm. So... Uh... Let me preface this by saying I'm never in the business of telling anyone what to think about anything ever. What I can do is provide the Marxist view of intersectionality. Um, and, and I understand like a lot of people just use the term to mean we're all united, like you were just saying, right? Um, from the Marxist view, intersectionality is what we call a mystification, right? It takes all of these things and sort of views them on a, 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 an ideal level rather than what Marx would say ascending to the concrete can do and provides a material basis for it. And, and that sounds very jargony, so I'll explain, don't worry. Um, mm -hmm. the, uh, just as an example to, again, preface this, Marx says in Capital that labor in the white skin cannot be free can not be free while in the black it is branded. And what he means by this is that it is absolutely impossible for the white section of the working class to engage in class struggle while the black section is exploited because you're not going to get beyond the system of exploitation while some working class people mm -hmm. are exploited. And so the way Marxism views it is that all of these different Parts of your identity that the intersectionality would say intersect are forms of class struggle, right? That are developed by uh, the material history that creates them, right? So the Black Freedom Movement has been one of the primary forms of class struggle in our country's history, right? Uh, the struggle against homophobia the struggle against racism, all of these are forms of the working class's struggle against the ruling class. Because, I mean, Obama was president. Does that mean that he is 
exploited somehow because he has black skin? Mm, not really. Obama don't really have a struggle. Not like an exploited black proletarian does. But his struggle is specifically and particularly that black freedom struggle. So all workers within this have the same material interest against that same ruling class. And like you were saying, it, it has a lot of commonality. We have more in common than we do uh, indifference, right? We have more that unite mm -hmm. us than what divides us. And it is a bourgeois ideology that seeks division. I don't care what we want to call it, how we want to think about it. If we're fighting mm -hmm. that establishment and that, that sort of financial institutions and capital together, we could call it pink unicorns. I don't care, right? Let's get together and fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's going to, that would be a very deep, nuanced conversation that would have to happen. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, I, I still have a lot to learn. But, you know, coming no, at we it all from do. It's all good. Coming at it from somebody who wears a few different hats mm -hmm. uh, and experiences discrimination and uh, exploitation in different forms. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, you can I can use my anecdotal uh, life experience in order to kind of purse through uh, some of the things that I've seen. For sure. You know, um, but uh, one of the things that I wanted to bring up was, and for the life of me, uh, unfortunately, because I think my internet connection isn't doing as well as it should, I tried to go back up to that comment that you said that you saw um regarding uh midwestern marks uh that uh you wanted to address oh i was um, just saying if you wanted to i i wouldn't mind addressing it like i i just didn't oh, want you to just yeah. want to be polite to me i don't care <laughs> yeah uh i don't know it's just uh, there's times where people might um go after uh you know different guests and i don't know if uh <laughs> that would be feasible at this time. Um, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity because I think they were saying about, uh, uh, I think they were making a claim that their Midwestern Marx uh, is somewhat chauvinist. That's what they were <laughs> making a claim of. I don't know anything about this. I just saw the comment. So Yeah, it's weird, right? Like We could go back to what I've been saying this whole time. Right? Does it? I don't. I don't know. Does it sound chauvinistic? I don't think so. I think mm -hmm. we've been talking about alliance with other working class people all over the world. I think we've been mm -hmm. talking about the centrality of the Black freedom struggle, stuff like that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, what what struck me was um, patriotism, and one of your guys, Michael Parenti, wrote a really good book on this called Super Patriotism where he draws a line between um, the jingoism of the sort of America first and sort of the looking down on others versus the people who fight for the betterment of their people, right? Um, and so this is sort of what we say, um, patriotism the way Lenin was patriotic, sure, 
But patriotism the way like the three percenters say they're patriotic? Absolutely not. No, I wouldn't even call that patriotism. For Marxism, what defines a thing or defines is a weird word, but what really um, is, is what a thing is embodied by is the nascent or developing part of the two contradictions. So our society exists as a contradiction. The bourgeois, which has already developed and is therefore decaying and going away, and the proletarian, which is progressive and coming into being. And so if we look at our history, in order to actually love our country, we must be patriotic in the way Martin Luther King Jr. was, right? Who um, fought to make this a better place for everyone. And that's all we mean by that. I think a lot of times people sort of get uh, into subjective use of terminology and believe that, you know, the subjective way that they're understanding something is the same way that everybody is using a word or talking about a subject. But when we really dig down, um, we find that it's usually not the case. Most people are good people and mean well. They may be using words that we don't like or or think people shouldn't. But overall, uh, we're all, like Jay was just saying, uh, more similar than we are different. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that explanation. Um, didn't want to, uh, you know, get into the weeds, but oh yeah, for uh, sure. I, yeah, uh, and sorry, uh, I didn't get to hear a lot of the explanation because my co my I saw internet has been going in and out, and just it, it's really frustrating for me. So <laughs> I appreciate it's it. all good, man. Oh, we'll talk about it at some point if you want. It's not really like it's just it's an easy way to say we love our people, we want what's best for them. Right. That's yeah. all. And when I say our I people, you. I mean, everybody, the working classes. Oh, are you cut? Oh, you're not cutting up. OK. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm still here. Sorry. Um, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Oh, okay. <sighs> okay, because uh, it's it. This thing is, jeez, uh, Louise. This is why we need municipal broadband on mm -hmm. a better state scale. <laughs> um, yeah. So they were talking about but, doing yeah. that in my town, and then it got overturned, which kind of sucks. Yeah, it's just the the, the internet today. Um, but. Yeah, so I just want to, you know, thank you. Uh, let me uh, get to this tip on Rockfin really quick because I want to make sure I get this in as well. I honestly do think I need to check outside to see if these guys are um, these guys are actually working on it on on our internet because. Or are they doing it right now? I'm sorry. Oh, I said, are they doing it right now? Uh, I'm not sure. They did it last time. Mm, okay.
So let me go here. Uh, so thanks for the tip, Roger. Roger says, if you want to organize workers to seize that moment, the best way to do it is to seize the means of productions, use citizen-initiated constitutional amendments uh, placed in our own initiative. Oh, no. Jay's cutting out again. Okay. I'm going to dovetail on what he was saying. Absolutely. What we really need is uh, in the USA, which has been sort of deindustrialized, right? There are other key areas we could talk about seizing the means of communication, transport. Oh, you're back. Good. Yeah. This is really annoying. Um, <laughs> well, I got to get going soon, right, so anyways. Yeah. My son has a track meet tonight. So. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So it says, if you want to organize workers to seize the moment, the best way to do it is to seize the means of productions and use citizen-initiated constitutional amendments placed in our own initiatives on the ballot for ratification of amendments into state constitutions, a public bank to strengthen worker co-ops and to provide loans specifically to co-op startups and working wishing workers wishing to buy the company from their boss citizen ballot initiatives bypassing having to do worker mass movements. Thank you very much, Roger. <sighs> I really had to like ugh, tighten it up, but yeah. I got so, you, brother. I got you. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, yeah. But I, I appreciate um, you coming on. Of course. Talk about this. Always happy There was some other stuff that I up, but for some reason, my internet's not working good, and I don't want to subject the audience to more of me being like, What, who, huh, what, <laughs> right? And just yeah. going into a buffering thing every few minutes. <laughs> Basically, that's what it is for me, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, and yeah, definitely. And and then on top of that, this uh, this application is working a lot slower than mm. it should. Lately, too. Yeah. Bad Cookies asked, JB, you might need to get a higher level data plan. The USA is such an effed up place, man. Yeah, I can't afford it right now. <laughs> so if you guys would like to, you guys can. And those are my monopolies. So they're so expensive, man. It's crazy. Um, yeah. All right. So, well, it seems like we're we're winding down. Would you mind if I, I, I plug the, the thing you know I'm about to plug? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, awesome. Uh, JB froze again, so that sucks. But very cool news. The Midwestern Marx Institute is doing our first ever Marxism school starting not today, but next Tuesday. Um, we've already had a bunch of people sign up. There's 13 slots left in the class. That's going to be, you get to be involved you get to interact with the rest of the class, with me, I'll be teaching it. And with our friend JB here, who's going to be involved as well. So I'm really, really excited about this. This is something we've been planning a super long time. You can sign up right now on our Patreon. Uh, and if it doesn't, for some reason, fill up, then we'll open it up outside of that. But yeah, don't we got your spot saved already, JB. <laughs> All right. I'm actually really excited because I I wanted to, you know, learn Marxism. And the thing is that I could pick up a book, but 
it, I, I learn better in groups anyway, so I think it will be uh, beneficial for me especially. And, um, you know, so, it's funny. I learn so much just from the people that I'm, like, sort of walking through the basics because everybody, no matter where they come from, provides a unique sort of environment that built them. And so they have insights that I never thought of, you know, and I love doing it. And that's why doing this together as a collective project is so important. Nobody can do it on their own, you know, and it, it's sort of a a dialectic, right? Like Mark said, the educator must be educated. Of course. So yeah, you can sign up on our Patreon. Um, We'll be streaming it live as well. If you don't have a seat in the class, Uh, our stream will do it. And I believe you're doing it too, right? Yeah, uh, so I'll I'll be in um, as far as uh, being one of the classmates. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I'll be you know there present and accounted for for the class. Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm I'm pumped. All right, brother, I'll let you go uh, mm-hmm. so your internet doesn't keep gunking out. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It's an honor to- talking to you. I love you. I love everybody at RBN. You guys are great. Thank you so very much. It was good to see you, man. And hopefully it will be under slightly better, more improved circumstances. I appreciate it. <laughs> better internet. I'm used to it. Uh, that, that's Carlos's internet too. So, Yeah, definitely. All, All right. right. Take care. You too, man. All right. Bye. Bye, everybody. All right. So hopefully you guys can still see me. Uh, but one of the things that I wanted to uh, go into as well. Uh, what a day. What a day. And on top of that, I got to go to my grandmother's memorial this weekend. So it's, it's, it's been a, it, plus I got to prepare for that today because I got to get ready. But thank you so much. If you guys have not, please make sure to like the stream. And if you guys have not subscribed, please make sure to subscribe as well. Um, and just, uh, thank you to all the patrons on Patreon and coffee and as well as members. Thank you guys so much for being part of this, uh, experience, this, uh, this stream. I really appreciate it because without you guys, I would not be able to do this. So thank you very much. Also, if you have not already, you guys can, uh, go to my Substack, and you guys can get email notifications at jbfont.substack.com. You guys would like to so that you guys can get notified instead of having to depend on youtube for the notifications which aren't so reliable and uh thank you so much to you guys were you know you guys were chatting a lot in this stream which is really cool because i actually appreciate uh, a lot of your insights, you know, to everybody in the stream. So, I am going to be, uh, go- oh, I forgot. I forgot to talk about the books. So, um, I will be finishing. Um, I'll be finishing up chapter two of Laziness Does Not Exist by Dr. Devon Price. So if you have not yet started watching my readings and discussion on this book, 
man, it's really good. Uh, I'm telling you right now, it has been cathartic for me. So if you guys have not, then that is a great book to get into. And then also I will be finishing uh, chapter, I think it's chapter 13 of Asada Shakur's autobiography. I'm sorry, chapter 12. I'll be finishing chapter 12. Uh, I was having some internet issues, so I didn't get to finish, but I'll finish chapter 12 as well. And on top of it, uh, of course, like uh, Noah was saying, that I will be uh, present and accounted for for the Midwestern Marx Marxism class. I call it Marxism 101. I have never read Marx, and I wanted to get into it. And I wanted to go through a great avenue so that I can learn what it is and see how it jives, you know, with how I see the world and learn more in that regard. So uh, I will be joining them. Actually, next Tuesday will be the first class. So I'm excited to get into that. And of course, this weekend, I will be uh, mourning the, the loss of my grandmother which is a lot. Um, and so it was kind of sudden for us. So we're going to be, uh, uh, you know, seeing family in Jersey uh, to, you know, say goodbye. So that's going to be a tough one. But yeah, so it's going to be, and then I'll be back next week. So you guys will see me next week for this show. And who do I have next week? I think I remember exactly who it is, but I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak. Um, who do I have? Um, so next week, yes. So I'm going to have Reef Breland from the Any News Network on next week. We're going to be talking about different news stories. I want to have him on. So I can't wait. And other than that, uh, yeah. So. Why is it working better now? Oh, gosh. Technology. Anywho, so thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, and water your, look, like I always say, water your plants, water yourselves, leave the world better than you found it. Um, smoke them if you got them. Ha! <laughs> Drink them if you got them. Uh, hey, I got water. And if you don't got them, then watch something funny, something comical, because joy is revolutionary. And also, make sure to keep in mind that, you know, uh, bullies eventually get their comeuppance. The United States has been a bully on the world stage, and it's getting its comeuppance. And of course... You know, we also got to remember when it comes to people in this country, once you start to go against one marginalized group, it becomes a slippery slope and it starts to happen to everybody else. So with that being said, mwah, forehead kisses to every single one of you. And I will see you guys in the next stream Tuesday. <laughs> Bye. Did I forget something else? I